Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, digital agency owners, podcast listeners. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you currently stressed out, cash crunched, or fed up with your business? If you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem, or maybe it's the area you live in, or maybe this market has become too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around, but I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now that it's probably something much deeper that you're not likely even aware of yet. It's like a client that comes to you saying that they need a website or Facebook ads or maybe a mobile app developed, but they don't even realize the deeper challenge or opportunity that's blocking them from success. Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a YouGuru's Agency Freedom Session, where we'll dig into those underlying issues and get you moving like never before. The aha moments will shift the way you think forever, and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your agency freedom session today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start your application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. All right, let's introduce today's guest. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we are hanging out with Tiffany Souter. Tiffany is the CEO of Element3, a full-service marketing consultancy in Indianapolis. Since 2006, she's transformed E3 from a small creative shop into one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies in the Midwest. She's been named uh, as one of the 40 under 40 uh, in her local Indianapolis business journal. Uh, She's also appeared on the Inc. 5000 fastest-growing company list six times in a row, and she's been uh, also awarded with the fastest-growing business in 2014 and 2015 in her uh, business journal and awarded the HubSpot Agency of the Year in 2012. Tiffany, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Brent. So paint us a picture of Element 3 today. How many people are you? About what size are you? And who's a typical client? Yeah, so um, we have about 55 people today. And um, we target mid-market growth companies, which I always laugh because everybody's like, what the hell does mid-market really mean? Um, but we, re- we don't work with startups. And we're looking for companies that have a real um, opportunity or posture for market leadership. We say we build and defend market-leading brands. So a lot of clients that we have, you know, listeners may have heard of is if you think of Airstream, that like silver bullet, you know, travel trailer, definitely a market-leading brand today, but a bit of a heritage brand that lost its way and needed a modern reinvention. So that's um, a real banner client for us. Boston Whaler is another high-end boat company that, again, the product has certainly stood the test of time. But these manufacturers that have incredible products really never had to be savvy marketers um, because the product sold itself and it was very sales driven. So in today's world, as we, I think, in a very excited way, put a more um, quantitative pressure on marketing to perform and really support the sales process as consumer you know, buying habits have changed, we work with brands to help them do that well. So not just making prettier pictures, but building the marketing platforms, the strategies, the brand stories to help them win and um, dominate markets. Very cool. What attracted uh, you to this industry? Why why start uh, an agency? Yeah, I, I feel like 
the story in hindsight, <laughs> in some ways, sounds more glamorous than the story, you know, as I was living it. But um, I have a background in finance, and I started my career as a financial analyst, like a cost accountant. And basically, what you do in that job is you take historical data that's like created in a manufacturing environment. And you try to figure out based on assumptions, like what's going to happen next year? You know, what's your machine rates going to be and your factory loss and all this kind of stuff. And so my brain learned how to take historical data with assumptions about what might happen in the future and make thoughtful guesses, predictions, you know, in finance, you call it budgets about what's going to happen. And 15 years ago, when I started you know, like learning a little bit about marketing because I didn't take a marketing class in college or really have much exposure to it. But I started to see, if you look back 15 years ago, we were just trying to figure out the internet, email marketing was kind of becoming a thing. And all these data points that were starting to be created because my context was finance, I knew I would say more quickly what to do with it all than people who had more grown up in the art of marketing um, as it had been done more historically. And so, you know, I don't know if it was opportunistic or dumb luck or <laughs> I just like, I'm an externalizer. So I talk about the things that I see. And I started to realize I have a different perspective on this. Like people aren't quite sure what to do with the fact that now we can do all these things. And so the idea of ROI and marketing and building pivot tables in Excel and, you know, we have all of this fancy marketing technology that can do it today. But I was simulating the idea of attribution modeling and and trying to figure out, well, if I can know what is assisting in conversion, then I can have higher, more stickiness with my clients. Because I was worried, like, I only have two weeks of revenue at a time. How do I extend the runway? So it wasn't so much like I sat down strategically to grow, you know, the biggest agency in Indiana. It was more my own curiosity started to get me to a different chapter in the book. And I had a different background that brought a different lens to at least marketing in the, in the landscape that we fit in here in Indiana. I feel like a lot of marketers, and I like that you, you brought up kind of the art of, of marketing versus maybe, you know, the science or, or math of it. I feel like a lot of marketers are trying to kind of snap on the data component versus kind of having that be the central driving force behind what they're doing in, in marketing. I imagine from a finance background, as, as you've kind of mentioned, that you're a lot more comfortable with the data. Maybe that's where you guys start. So as an agency, have you built that as kind of the cultural element or your unique, uh, as you said, your your lens? I mean, is that kind of become the culture or have you had to kind of hire more people that maybe that's not their background because there's not a whole lot? I mean, I, I feel like a lot of marketers do use data, but like not probably to the level that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I think there's two things. Um, I think still in marketing and people who say they want to mar- be marketers, they don't understand the foundational principles of of informa- of data information. And I break it up into like three pieces when I bring people on. I'm like, you, you cannot solve all these three at the exact same time. The first one, you have to figure out what is the data and is it Like, is there enough data points here to actually even do anything with it? You can't just take numbers and mash them together and create an insight. Like, what is the data? And is there enough data to make sense of it? The second is, what does the data say? Like, does the data say it's going up? Does the data say it's going down? And then the next one is, what does it mean? 
And then the last one is, what am I going to do about it? And young people in particular, I see them just look at a number and be like, I don't know, spend more. It's like, holy crap, like help me as a strategic thinker or as an executive who's thinking about investment, walk me through, this is what the data is telling us. These are the data sources and this is why they can or can't be trusted. Like what's the risk even in the numbers we're using? What does it say to us? It says when we increase production by this, that blah, blah, blah happens. What that means is that XYZ must be a key factor to increasing blank. And what we're going to do about the impact we're trying to make is this. And these are hypotheses about why. And that's such a fundamental discipline that is missing. It's taught over and over and over and over in finance and accounting and business strategy. And those, I would say, typically more hard skill you know, jobs that you would get. But we don't understand that those same principles apply inside of marketing. And it might be a creative product, might be a campaign, it might be a product launch, it might be something else. But if you're not able to walk yourself and you know, thereby your client through that thinking, you really are making guesses still, even though you might have found some numbers to support your cause. And so that's what we teach as much as anything. And I think that we're still figuring out to kind of go to your other point of like, is that our culture? You know, on our best days, I like to believe that that's what we bleed. But we're still working through this process, I think, as an industry of still retrofitting some people into the modern reality of what it is that we can know. And we still have technology that knows how to do things that we don't know really how to use well yet as marketers and professionals. And so there's still this gap of what we can do, what we know how to do, and what people have the willingness to do because, again, of kind of where they're at in their career trajectory, maybe where they started, more of a you know, creative agency, digital-only agency that doesn't understand the value of creative and vice versa. So it's still very much a melting pot. And you know, I, I tell my team all the time, we, we need to be excited about those tension moments because that's when we know that we have different perspectives at the table. But people can get pissed off too sometimes. So... <laughs> That's also the reality of it. What, what do you mean by uh, tension moments? What's uh, what's an example of that? Yeah, so an example would be a client has seventy thousand dollars to spend on a campaign, and a creative person is super pumped about the fact that they have this really cool direct mail idea, and they're really excited about the brand impression it can make because it's a really cool creative idea. And the digital marketer is saying, "I really want to take sixty-five of that seventy thousand dollars." and pump it into paid social and paid digital because I can more empirically create a formula of ROI for the client. And I'm going to spend $5,000 on the creative that we're going to pump through that. And I'm going to have a robot make the creative ads, not even a person. And I'm going to see how many leads I can churn out. And that's a tension moment. Like, is this a brand impression campaign that we're thinking about creating? Is it pure play demand gen? And is the direct mail perhaps more targeted? And the total number of leads that we get on that is maybe 22. <laughs> but in the total, but the quality is much higher. Or if we would do a paid social campaign, maybe our lead count is 2,000, but the quality score is much lower. And so what do you do? Like those are types of things that we come into contact, like sort of at intersection with all the time here. Like who wins? How do you decide? If neither campaign has historical data, who gets to decide which one you try? So, so when you're put into that situation, are you looking at the data or projected data to make the decision? Or is that more of a gut leader thing 
to help help the team help facilitate the decision making process. Yeah, I think I, ideally, again, you'd build your hypotheses in the way that, you know, same way you'd build like a reverse funnel and say, okay, well, if the ROI that we're targeting, let's say your cost of customer acquisition target is 400 bucks or something like that, it's like, well, what does the campaign need to perform at to be able to create so that that metric isn't diluted, right? That we're constantly challenging. How do we get that number down, not up? And so if you look at the direct mail piece, well, how many leads does it need to create for that to be the case? And is there any information that would lead us to believe that that's feasible? Could be other campaigns that we've ran for that client, could be similar campaigns we've seen on other clients that we think that consumer base is close enough that we could, you know, stratify, you know, stratify like that's, it's reasonable to believe that could happen. Or sometimes when you force it back up and you say, I mean, that means we're going to have to get a 25% response rate on this direct mail. Is that possible? And you start realizing probably not. Like we probably can't get that cost of customer acquisition with that campaign channel. And so that's, that kind of proves it out. And sometimes everybody's fighting for their assumptions and somebody just has to come in and have the last word. You don't want it to devolve to that. It's sort of like, you know, with your spouse, like you don't want there to be a final <laughs> vote. Ideally, you can get to something where everybody understands. Here's what we most believe is going to be true. But the cool part, if you have that written down and you document, well, here is what we believe is going to happen inside this campaign. And then you can track once you execute it, what actually happened. And the team has the discipline to come back and say, and this is what we did in finance all the time, we'll interrogate the variance. If you thought the conversion rate of that landing page was going to be 7% and it was actually 4 did anybody do any CRO on it to see if we could improve it? Like you start being able to look at what, what, what failed or what performed better than we expected and how do we learn well from that so that we can carry that forward. And that's the discipline that I think is so alive in finance you know, when you close the book every single month and you look at, well, why are expenses ahead or behind what we thought they were? And is it a trend that's going to hold true for the rest of the year? Or is it an outlier? Your, your budgeting gets better and better and better every year and the variance tends to get less because you just know so much more. And we don't bring that discipline to marketing in mid-market in particular in the way that we should. Um, and that's been, it's been a real difference maker for us. I mean, in, in the financial Does space, that makes sense? Yeah. Can I talk about it? And I think in the, in the financial space, you have, you know, you have auditors and taxes and laws and things like that. In the marketing space, it's like, eh, well, it's like, you know, we could like pull whatever data we want. Like there's not, there's not necessarily as many established standards. And uh, I mean, if you look at some bigger companies like, like Airstream, for example, I mean, I'm sure they have very strict accounting principles and practices they have to follow. Whereas on the marketing side, I feel like that's kind of been the wild west for, you know, forever. Um, and, and what you're talking about is bringing a lot more structure to how you approach uh, creative and, and ad campaigns and things like that, which is, um, I mean, I think it's a breath of fresh air. I think it could be intimidating to a lot of people though. Yeah. And it does take, I mean, I think when you break it down and show it to people, it's not that, scary once you see it, but everybody does kind of have this like hold their breath for 30 minutes moment when they start to realize like, oh, I'm actually going to know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, which is empowering. But at the beginning, it's scary. And I take it like back to personal. It's like, when you know you're sort of fat 
you're like, I know I'm kind of fat and you're walking around the world. But when somebody, like when a doctor makes you get on the scale and you like have to look at it, it's like the moment where you like got to deal with, am I going to make, am I going to make a different decision or not? And it's the same thing in marketing and creative. It's like, it doesn't matter if you think it's a good idea. What gets to decide is how it performs. And that doesn't mean we don't take risks. That doesn't mean that we're always managing to the average. Like that's the blind spot in an environment like what I'm talking about when you're so data-driven that you don't take risks to surprise the marketplace and move it where you want it to go. So, you know, that's, that's the part that we have to be aware of is that we're not so data-driven that it becomes so safe that our, us and our clients aren't willing to kind of break open our own rules and challenge what's going on. I mean, I've seen that personally where we see that the data is telling us that, you know, a campaign's not working and, and we can see that it's not working. I think trying to figure out the why component is, is challenging. Like, why is this campaign not working? And then being willing to come to the table with radically different creative ideas, mm-hmm. you know, when we maybe don't know, we, we know it's not working, but we don't necessarily know why. And I think to your point, you could do some, some CRO and kind of test some variants to see if you can get clear on the why part. But, um, but it, it is a hard place to navigate, right? Of you have this, you know, you have to come up with big creative ideas, which inherently really aren't, you know, data type things. I mean, you have creatives that can come up with amazing copy and amazing imagery and amazing videos. And some of them maybe don't even know necessarily like how they're coming up with those ideas. They're just like a really good creative, a lot of experiments. There's a lot of like unsaid things. But then what you're talking about, I think is a lot more black and white. I think that that's definitely a, that could be challenging to lead through a team and also to have clients. Like, do you find that clients ever resist this type of approach or do you find that they're, they're welcoming it? No, I think that I mean, in a lot of ways, we're helping clients even develop the infrastructure of how do you get to a place where you have these many, you know, this many nodes that can measure things, you know, the technology installed properly, the right integrations of data so that you can overlay what's happening in sales or, you know, at shows and conferences. And is it worth spending more on that stuff or not? And so... I mean, we're, we're a lot of times developing the systems alongside them. And I, I don't want it to come across as too clinical because we still definitely, you know, step back and create big campaigns. Airstream is just an easy one for everybody to think about. Like we came out with an April Fool's campaign and there was a bear stream and it had like, you know, fur on the outside. And we launched it like it was a new product totally on April 1st. And then it wasn't until the next day that we said like, ah, April Fool's. It's like, I mean, what's the ROI in a one-day campaign? We obviously didn't sell 2,000 units that day, but it was all about kind of Airstream being Airstream, you know, just out in front, kind of an, just like an engaging consumer brand. And it got a ton of impressions and a lot of free media, but there wasn't ROI as it relates to sales, but that doesn't make it not a good idea. So it doesn't always have to be quite as clinical as I'm explaining it, but we do look for well, what's the impact? Because the client's going to ask us, especially as you know, we're walking into a super strange economy right now. And being smart about being able to talk about that when things are good creates a different kind of credibility. And you have baselines to be able to walk in and say, well, if I know on average across every landing page you've ever built for this client, it performs at 11.5%. Now we starting to see that go down or up You know, as we go into a different economic cycle. So it just gives you... It's a set of tools. It, it doesn't always become the 
only thing that we think about or look at as we're building brands. Tiffany, when you joined, uh, and I think I maybe misspoke earlier about you uh, starting Element 3, you, you joined Element 3 uh, when you were pretty young in the business. Um, what, what size was the business when you joined? Hey, what's up, agency owners? As someone that's built hundreds of websites for clients over the last 20 years, I know how important it is to have a content management system that is fast to set up and delivers my clients' websites with the speed the internet demands. If you're looking for a new CMS, I'd like to introduce you to a new platform called Zephyr a content management system built for power users and agencies. Build websites faster, make clients happier. Find out more at ZephyrCMS.com and get one free site for life and a free theme set up valued at $500. That's ZephyrCMS.com. Now let's get back to our interview. Tiffany, when you joined, uh, and I think I maybe misspoke earlier about you uh, starting Element 3, you, you joined Element 3 uh, when you were pretty young in the business. What, what size was the business when you joined? Yeah, so sort of, it's kind of weird. My my dad, the financial partner, and me, the sweat equity, so I explain it, we bought a small agency in 2005, I think late part of 2004. And it was a husband and wife team that had, you know, kind of set up their own shingle. Like I have learned a lot of creatives kind of get to a place where they do that. You know, you kind of believe it's going to be easier to work for yourself than somebody else. And there's a great book called The E-Myth, and it talks about how People who are spectacular practitioners often accidentally find themselves as business owners. And um, as business owners, you work on things like finance and hiring and firing and collections and sales and all things that really aren't your craft. And they had really found themselves in that place where the company was like three hundred and fifty or four hundred thousand dollars in revenue. They, you know, their kids were getting older, the stress was getting greater, and they were finding they were getting further and further away really from the things that they loved and knew how to do. So as, you know, a stupid 24 and a half year old, I said, well, why don't I buy the agent? I don't want to buy it from you and I'll be the hundred percent owner and you guys can work for me and we'll just kind of see what happens. And I sort of joke when people sell you something really fast, maybe, maybe you shouldn't buy it. <laughs> um, but it's been a great ride. And my dad put up a little money and I put up about a decade of my life and, you know, one foot in front of the next, one year in front of the next, have built a company we're really proud of. But we've learned a lot and the marketing landscape has changed a ton over the last 15 years. And in large part, that was to our advantage because the more traditional agencies, quote unquote, that had a foothold, I would say, the prior two decades and the market that we play in, we're starting, people were starting to say, I think it's a new formula that's going to actually win the day as we look at how digital and traditional marketing are converging. So yeah, we started in 2007, 2008, somewhere in there. Got crushed like everybody else did in the recession of 8, 9, 10, kind of in there. Learned a bunch. Spent the last you know, 10, 12 years building it to the 55 people we have today. And you know, as we kind of head into another economic dip, I feel much more prepared and in some ways excited because you start to see there's companies who create really exciting distance when they navigate these choppy waters well. And so I feel like it's going to be a real fresh leadership test for us, for sure. That's an interesting way to look at a, uh, I mean, you know, who knows if it's going to trigger a recession as, as we're recording this episode. I mean, by the time this episode goes live, <laughs> uh, it might be a totally different story, right? In a couple of weeks. Um, but that's, you know, I think a lot of people do get really hung up on recession 
business, right? Recession cycles and kind of lay blame to, oh man, I lost all my clients or, oh man, my business just, you know, that recession hit and everything kind of like turned upside down or, you know, I'm not successful because of this. Uh, and, and I've always found that it's, you know, it is that opportunity to kind of sink or swim to some extent and, you know, maybe push harder during those times so that you are one of the companies that, makes it through that. And, uh, you know, kind of like a forest fire, right? I mean, it's like the stuff that survives gets a lot more, you know, sun, right. Gets Mm -hmm. a lot more when, when everything dies down, right. There's, there's, you're kind of there and there's not a whole lot of competition left and and that's where you can really thrive. So I like that idea of creating some of that uh, exciting distance between you and maybe some of your competitive firms. Yeah. It's interesting for here, here um, for me to hear you say that Brent too, of like people use excuses. I work really closely with a a sales and business coach and have for the better part of the last eight years. And um, about three years after the last, you know, sort of economic disaster exploded, it was like all over. And he said, when are you going to totally accept that it was your fault and not the economy's? And I was like, what the hell are you saying? Like, I was so mad at him. Like, what do you mean? He's like, when are you going to accept it? When are you going to accept that it wasn't the economy? It was that you did not have the tools to navigate it well. And I was like mad for like six months. Like, how dare him say that to me? And I mean, we have a really close relationship. But the longer I thought about it, I was like, that is the absolute truth. I just didn't know what to do. And in every economic cycle, somebody does well. And, you know, you think back to like all the foreclosures and stuff. I mean, imagine being a trash company at that point in time, right? I mean, they're hauling furniture and crap out of the front of foreclosed homes by the hundreds, you know, in so many cities across the United States. Like, I bet they were making a ton of money. What about, you know, I I mean, there's just, there are people who make money in every economy. And that doesn't mean this isn't going to be hard. I mean, I'm not like, I'm not like excited, like I'm going on vacation about it, but I feel like I have a different sense of understanding that I do have control. And in the last one, I believed I didn't. And that was how I acted. What tools have you either acquired or uh, sharpened that you think might help you prepare for this, uh, for whatever's going to happen in the next, you know, one to four years? Yeah. So one of the things that is a total pet peeve of mine is that in spite of the fact that we are marketing agencies, so few marketing agencies take their own dollars and invest in brand and website traffic and a CRM and subscribers and a newsletter and a you know content that actually has followers outside of your customers. Like so few. And there's going to be, a, I think, several who try to do that quickly, you know, as they realize well, I'm not going to be able to just rely on the seven clients who have always kept my doors open. I'm going to actually have to go hunt. And we've been practicing that for all 11 years. And I have my own marketing team. We spend our own money. We have our own tech stack. I have my own you know, monthly review with my marketing team about how many leads we're getting, what our website traffic is doing, how many people are reading our content, our, you know, my own speaking schedule so that we're always anticipating there's going to be a bad day. And, you know, that doesn't mean that my lead velocity is not going to probably get impacted, but we've already built the tools to be able to market ourselves and we'll be able to put together campaigns that are really relevant to this market environment that we're in. And I don't have to spend the time building it. So 
that's a piece of it. I mean, I just get like so frustrated. Like how in the world can we sell something that we don't do? And it's amazing how much better you get at it when you are spending your own hundreds of thousands of dollars that, you know, otherwise I could take home, right? So that's a piece of it. The other is, I always tell agency owners, young entrepreneurs, like learn how to sell. Do not allow that aspect of your business to be primarily controlled by anybody other than you as the principal. And now I have a business development manager who does a lot of our day-to-day. But if you would decide to leave, like I'm good. I know how to do it. I know how to do the pipeline. I know how to cold call. I know how to hunt. I know how to, I know our sales process. And I'm not beholden to anybody, which gives me great flexibility as I figure out what do we need to do for these next, you know, yeah, 6, 12, 24, 36 months. And the other is stay, stay lean from a cash perspective. I feel like this turns into an ego business fast, you know, the, how beautiful your space is all the video equipment you have, like all that kind of stuff. And the other piece is like, be lean about the way that you're running your business, like have cash. I love those. Uh, I mean, just that whole idea of, of all three of those things you said of having your own uh, marketing team. I mean, I think for smaller shops that maybe don't have that, um, at least right now, maybe they don't have that kind of bandwidth to have a team, but at least making that marketing investment mm-hmm whether it's even bringing in some contractors to focus specifically on your marketing, I find it so common. This is one of the biggest things that we we struggle with our clients uh, on the coaching side is is that they market their business in, in kind of this, um, you know, when their production team, when their designers or developers or marketers have time, have some extra time, yep. you know, to squeeze in like an internal project, right? Like, oh, let's do like a little, like we'll, we'll do a blog post this week or whatever, right? Versus having people that are really focused on that outcome as, you know, as their job, right? Or, or if they're a contracted agency or somebody, you know, they're accountable to fulfilling part of your marketing engine on a weekly or monthly basis. That's exactly right. I have a presentation that I've given a couple times and I said, here's the things we try. The first one is you try to do it nights and weekends as the principal. Like, this is really important. This is stuff I have to do. And so like Tuesday nights, I'm going to stay up till my eyeballs bleed and that's going to be my blog post night or Saturday mornings, I'm going to get up before my kids do. And like, you know, you sort of play all these time games with yourself about how you're going to do it. And you might pull it off for like four, six, eight or 12 weeks, but it's like, it's wholly not sustainable. And so that ends up flaming out. And so then the second thing everybody tries is exactly what you're saying, which is, well, we'll use it in the gap time as filler. Well, that's an inconsistent disaster because everybody gets between 20% and 88% through every assignment they're given, but nothing is actually ever shipped, which then people who are put on that stuff feel like I'm not actually getting anything done. This feels like a waste of my time. So then the effort goes down (laughs) and then the work gets crappy and then you don't even want to use it even if it does get done. And so that you know, sort of digresses to a place where nothing actually happens. And the only thing that I found actually works is I hired somebody before I could afford it, so to speak. And that was their entire job. And they were definitely a Swiss army knife, right? They had to know our web analytics. They had to set up our, you know, stand up our HubSpot instance. They had to know email marketing. They had to read the internet to basically figure out how to be a marketer. And they were young, but they were super hungry and not everything was perfect, but we we're at least building the muscle. And it got us going. And we did that for about two years. They were having a ball because they had a ton of autonomy because I didn't have time to oversee it very well. But we were practicing, 
right? And then we got a little bigger and I could put a full-time designer on it. So the strategy was getting, you know, stood up a little more and the design started to get a little bit better. And now we have a full-time content person, a strategist, you know, kind of thinker, PR, community person, and a designer on it. And that's, that's definitely enough for probably the next, you know, three, four years. But it, it, you do have to grow into it. But there's a point in time where you have to say, like, am I in or am I not in? Like, I either believe this is going to serve my business and I think it works or I don't believe it does. And I think that we have a responsibility to put our money where our mouth is on that. That's awesome. This has been a fascinating conversation. Tiffany, uh, I I feel like uh, we're gonna we're gonna probably give you a, a reinvite to come back on the show soon, get a, <laughs> an update on um, on Element Three and what all you have going on. I think some of the lessons around marketing and data uh, mindset as an owner, just some of the things that you should be focusing on as a business owner, have been invaluable for our our audience. So thanks for that. Are you ready for our lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. What is the best advice you've ever received? Thing that came to mind there was it's amazing how hard you had to work for that luck, isn't it? And I think about that often because sometimes I'm like, oh, that was lucky, like that we won that thing or whatever. And um, discipline creates, discipline behavior creates luck events that can be really life changing. And so pay attention to that. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Mm, saying what you mean the first time. Can you share an internet resource tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? Oh, uh, I'm a working mom. So shipped groceries show up at my front door. <laughs> and what book would you recommend and why? Um, Great by choice. Jim Collins. If you are serious about scaling your business, it gives you the imperatives for doing that well. Awesome. Well, we will... Link out to Shipped as well as Great by Choice by Jim Collins in our show notes, along with lots of other excellent takeaways and uh, nuggets from your interview, Tiffany, at our show notes page at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. If you guys are listening to this the week this comes out, just go to that page. You'll see Tiffany's episode right at the top. Click on that. And you'll see lots of goodies there uh, for you at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Tiffany, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So um, that's Tiffany Souder, S-A-U-D-E-R. So yeah, hit me up there. Love great conversations there. Excellent. Well, we will link out to your LinkedIn profile as well as Element 3's website. I definitely encourage our listeners to check that out as well. See what their agency is up to. Learn a little bit more about Tiffany and connect with her on LinkedIn. Check that out at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. All those goodies there uh, right for you if you're on the road or on the run. Um, Just check that out on our show notes page. Tiffany, thank you so much for stopping by the program today. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Brian. I really enjoyed it. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out today, I want to check on your answer to my questions from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out, cash crunched, fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead gen problem. Maybe it's the area you live in, or maybe this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around. And I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or mobile app, but they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge that's blocking them from success. 
Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, I want to invite you to apply for a free agency freedom session where you can dig into those underlying issues in your business and get moving like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever and you'll finally get the answer to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your agency freedom session today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show.